If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you and uh, turn to page 987. We are going to be looking, continuing to look in the book of Proverbs today, but uh, this will give us a context, as it were, for uh, the message before us. 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from, from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you uh, beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Well, Lord, now we would ask that you would open our hearts and minds, illumine us with your truth, and give us hearts desiring to be in conformity with you and your way for your people, for your children. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, our scripture reading this morning uh, from 1 Thessalonians, uh, I don't ordinarily start my messages with uh, reading from a commentator, but I would like to do that today in terms of... Uh, what one says about this passage, and especially the context of the passage. The first century Greco-Roman world, where the first Christian churches were planted, was filled with sexual license. It was customary for pagan husbands to have mistresses and to use female slaves. Prostitution was rampant, and there were even forms of pornography in that era's art and literature. In this passage, the will of God for his people is their sanctification, which includes abstinence from sexual immorality. The Greek word translated as sexual immorality, pornea, refers to all sexual activity outside of one man, one woman, marriage, covenant.
covenant. The reason I wanted to read that is uh, then to ask you, does that sound familiar? Does that not sound like it could have been written about the year 2020 in the United States of America? That's what struck me about it. It, it, it didn't sound radical. It sounded like a, a description of what we see all around us, certainly in our day. And I have to tell you, things aren't going the right direction, even in the church. This week we had a presbytery meeting. Now presbytery is where uh, elders and pastors from our churches in this area, we're called the Palmetto Presbytery, mostly the Columbia area. We meet quarterly and do uh, various aspects of business and uh, uh, we worship together, we, we pray together, we fellowship together as well during that time. And there were several things, this was Thursday, and I was far into this sermon before that time, but, but Thursday just reinforced to me what's going on around us. We had a, a man from Refuge Ministries, ministry here in Columbia, and he told us how Richland County is the third worst county in South Carolina in terms of sex trafficking. And their ministry is seeing children from age six to nine having their first exposure to pornography. I said from age six to nine. And usually, he said, it's from cell phones. Now, lest we think we're safe in the church, one pastor asked me to, to pray for their church because they had a full-time staff member that was preparing for the pastoral ministry, had already been to seminary, and was preparing for pastoral ministry that they had to fire, and they had to fire because of inappropriate things he had done with women, and there had been seven who had complained. Another pastor of a small church asked me for prayer as they had recently had three marriages break up because of adultery. And I said, three? This was a small church. And he said, yes, and not only that, 
And he gave me permission to share this, just not the name of the church. He said, not only that, but one of our other sister churches has just had three as well. Three affairs come to light. I recently read an article, you know, when you're in ministry for a while, it's just when you think you've seen everything that you then get surprised again. And I read an article that talked about how the church has to prepare to address polyamory. Now, you may not have even heard of that. Polyamory is basically polygamy without multiple marriages. And the article, and then I Googled it because I thought, this is, this is crazy. This Really, is this something we got to prepare for? And it's all over the place. And, and they are warning, there are churches that are having to have policies about it. So, bottom line, this is a message that demands to be preached. And I wouldn't be a very loving pastor if I skipped over the difficult subjects because the God, the great shepherd, our great shepherd, has addressed these for us. So in Proverbs, we read a great deal about sexual immorality. In fact, one commentator said, and I didn't, I don't know how you even measure this, but he said that there is more in Proverbs about sexual immorality than any other single subject. So we can't and should not avoid it. And by the way, those of you with children, they are talking about it in school. We need to be talking about it from God's perspective. So I want you to hang in there. There is hope. And even if this is an area of struggle for you, God cares about your struggle. And there is hope in him. Now one further thing before we hit the passages in in Proverbs, and that is, uh, we had talked about this when we started in Proverbs, uh, in terms of how these passages we're going to look at are worded. Um, commentator Tremper Longman says it this way, Proverbs discusses women and wives and not men and husbands because in its original setting the book was addressed to young men. We had talked about that earlier. However, modern women can certainly read the Proverbs and apply them to their relationship with men. So, you understand what he's saying is, yes, it's addressed to young men, but the application is for every single one of us, every one of us. So, first of all, the most obvious is the believer should avoid immorality. That sounds so obvious that it should be almost embarrassing to have to to start with that, but I hope it becomes clear as we see how God speaks on it. First of all, 
look in Proverbs chapter 5. And by the way, we're not going to hit every passage. We can't. In Proverbs 5, we see the description of this immorality. Proverbs 5 verse 3 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So the, the point being, the immoral one is deceivingly tempting. But when you give in to that temptation, it doesn't end well. It's not what it looks like. It's not what you had hoped for. It's not what it had allured you to. And I wish I could tell you how many times I've had people say, the moment it was over, the guilt came crashing down. And there it is. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So there we begin to see, and we're going to see more, what the, what the effects and what the dangers are. Chapter 6 goes on to, to talk about how we have got to avoid it, how to avoid it. Chapter 6, verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. You get that. Tempting you with outward, shallow things. Verse 26, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Now here's the warning. Verse 27, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? How vivid is that? You know, I grilled last night. Could I pick up the coals and, and do this and walk along and think I'm not going to get burned? And that's what it's saying. Or, or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the answer to those is, of course not. You, you can't do those things. And then verse 29, so is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. So there it is. You, you, you play with this. You get close to it, and you literally will be burned because you can't avoid it, even though it may look tempting. Proverbs 5.8 says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. You know, there it is, walking down the street, there's the house. We all know what the house is. I'll just walk close to the door. I'll just veer over, but I won't go in. 
And there's the warning. The absolute warning. You've got to avoid that. Do not go near the door of her house. And then look at the dangers. There are eternal results. Look at uh, Proverbs 6 again. Verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Dishonor, disgrace, you destroy yourself. These are the warnings from the Word of God. Turn over to chapter 7 then. And we're just kind of dipping into these. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Can you just picture that? Uh, the big, dumb ox. It's just going. The slaughter's right over there, and it follows goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. That means it's killed. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know what it will cost to, uh, that it will cost his life. And now, O oh sons, so here, you know, there are, he's talking about these animals. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. And I would say, O oh sons and daughters, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside from her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, that's death, going down to the chambers of death. And what it's saying is your eternity is at stake. It's at stake in this. So let's do a little application and then we'll move to the, the positive, how, how to avoid this. In terms of committing sexual immorality, the adultery is obvious. Faithfulness to our spouse. But there are other things that are just absolutely plaguing the people of God, the church, including pornography. We saw that the, the word pornea, where we get uh, pornography from, it's anything outside of marriage, one man, one woman. So, one of the Many problems with pornography is that it's addictive. Refuge Ministries that uh, was with us this week has seen uh, pornography addiction as young as 10 years old. It's an epidemic among men and also women. 
One study said that one in three women are dealing with it. You know what? I Don't worry about the stats. I don't care if it's one in 500, one in a million. I'm concerned about the one. The one that's among us. And some of you women say, well, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into pornography. I wouldn't look at that stuff. And then you sit down with a romance novel. Now, you may be looking up here saying, how do you know what a, is in a romance novel? Let me tell you how I know. I feel like I have to explain this. Here's how I know. I, in a previous church, I was visiting somebody who had visited the church, and they said, uh, we were just chit-chatting, getting to know each other. He said, do you, uh, do you like to read? Oh, yeah, I love to read, I said. She said, you know, I just finished a really good book, and uh, here, I'll give it to you. You can just take it, and, you know, when you're done, just pass it on. So she gave me this thick book, and I said, well, what's it about? And she said, it's historic fiction. Now, I should have known by the picture on the front, (laughs) but I thought, well, I may see her again. She's going to ask me if I've read this. And so I started to read it, and I have to tell you, I was shocked. I was reading pornography. And that's the same. You know, God has made our minds where, where when we uh, think of things, we are viewing it. So don't feel like just because you would never go to a pornographic site or look at pictures or whatever, that that's okay. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then here's how he says to deal with it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And he's not recommending that you pluck out your eye and cut off your hand, he's saying, but that's how serious it is. Repent of it. Turn from it. So here's the question. What if I've just described you in some way or another way? In other words, I said these things, but you're, you're saying I am, I'm not messing with those, but I'm, I'm guilty of this. What if I have or am not living a pure life? That's where the gospel comes in. 
That's where even this table comes in. That there is forgiveness in Christ. There is restoration in Christ. There is communion in him even for those that were described in 1 Thessalonians 4, even for those that were described here in Proverbs about how you are going to, down to this punishment if you choose that way. It is not hopeless. It is a battle, but it is not hopeless if you are in Christ. So let's look at the, the other side of, of what we are to do, and that is that the believer should enjoy the beauty of purity, of purity. How do we attain it? Proverbs 18 says this, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So one way to put yourself in the position of enjoying the beauty of purity is in the context of marriage. We will talk about that more in a moment, but before we do, we need to make it clear that being married is not the only way one can enjoy favor with the Lord. In the New Testament, Paul speaks highly of singleness, which he apparently was. He was single. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says it is a gift, verse 7. Now, I've heard it called a gift nobody wants, but it should not be called that in the church. We should have a healthy view, a right view, of singleness. He says in uh, verse 7, I wish that uh, all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of them one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. So the gift is only for those who have been given the gift and they are the ones that are to partake of it, Matthew 19, from the Lord Jesus. Further down in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28, it says this, But if you do marry, you've not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Did you hear that? Those that marry are going to have troubles. Did I hear an amen from over there? <laughs> I thought I heard an amen. Okay, verse 32 then. I want you to be free from anxieties. Then it talks about the worries one has if they're married, goes through them. And he says this in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So here's the point that he is making is if, if you've been given that gift, consider it a gift and it enables you to focus completely upon the Lord. 
your relationship with him, your serving of him. And you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have some folks here for our missions focus, and some of them are single, and you are going to see this illustrated. You're going to see how how they do not have the same distractions as those who are married. They have freedoms in terms of their serving. And they are joyfully fulfilling that. We in the church, of all places, should have a healthy view of singleness. Now, back to what's said to the married one. Again, it's addressed to young men, so it speaks that way, but the principles apply just as much to the wife and husband. Here's how to keep the beauty of purity. Back in chapter 5, again. Chapter 5, verse 15. We need to cultivate a deep relationship with our own wife or husband. Here's how it says it. Drink water from your own cistern flowing from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. He's saying it's exclusive. That's the beauty of purity. It's exclusive between the two of you. It is private. It's not to be shared with others in any way. And then it's a beautiful thing and an appropriate thing. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely, dear, graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you all at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. He's saying, remember what it was like when you first married, the wife of your youth. And then there's another warning. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? He's saying it, it, it doesn't make sense. You have this wife. Why are you enticed by that? And then, verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. That should be our greatest motivation right there. It should be for the believer that God knows all about this stuff that I'm into or my mind is into. He knows. So let's apply again. We must recommit. And by the way, this table is the perfect place for that. The Lord's table is the perfect place to recommit to a faithfulness, to a purity before him. And if you're willing, it's the place for you. If you're still wanting to hang on to those, don't mock the table by pretending. Secondly, well, first, uh, under, um, in, in Job it says this. 
I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? And there is where Job is, they're saying, well, you've, you know, you're looking for favor in some way. He, he says, look, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And what a, what a good thing in terms of application for us. Why, why am I permitting my eyes to look at that? Make a covenant before the Lord. And then secondly, renew your vows. If you are married, you took vows. Renew those before the Lord. They, the vows were taken to the Lord as well as the person you're married to. And then thirdly, paint a true picture of Christ to the world. Marriage in the Scripture is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church where he is the bridegroom, we are the bride. And he is always faithful, always faithful. And so our relationship is painting a picture to the world of the gospel and of how Christ treats us. We mustn't mar that. So as we come to the table, we should be reminded of his ultimate faithfulness to us and a faithfulness that will never, ever go away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your honesty with us as your children. You've told us what is right and you've told us what is good. Now, by your Holy Spirit, will you empower us to do those things? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.